0: Hi, this is Maureen Milliken. I know you guys were expecting an episode from us this week, earlier this week, but um, we had a family situation that has delayed us recording the episode. No, no one was murdered, but it was a little unnerving. Everything's okay now, but hopefully we'll have an episode up sometime in the next two weeks, and then we'll be back on schedule. We appreciate you sticking with us, particularly our Patreon supporters who we know expect some bang for their buck. And I know if you don't have us to listen to, you might just be sitting there staring at the wall until we come back. So with that in mind... I wanted to give you some quick recommendations based on stuff I've watched and listened to recently. You know, Becky isn't here, so I'm just taking over. She can get back at me for it when we do our episode, okay? I'm currently listening to Bob Odenkirk's audiobook, his memoir. It's called Comedy, 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 Drama. And as you may recall, I don't really listen to audiobooks that much, but I found a little niche of memoir audiobooks that are read by the people who wrote them. I think the first one was The Boys, the one Ron Howard and his brother Clint did, which was good. I'm also in the middle of Unthinkable by Jamie Raskin, which is good, but um is not bingeable. And now Bob's. They're kind of like listening to a really long podcast. I have trouble following fiction when it's spoken word because I usually listen while I'm doing something else like the dishes or um, walking around the house to get my Fitbit steps in. Hopefully with the snow melting, I'll be able to do that outside now. So it's harder to listen to fiction for me than nonfiction. And I found I do like listening to memoirs that are by the person who wrote. But Anyway, the way I stumbled onto Bob Owen and Kirk's book was I was in the Sherman's bookstore in Topsom, Maine, shopping for a birthday present for my sister Liz a few weeks ago. Hi, Liz. Happy birthday. We already talked. When I saw a signed copy of Odenkirk's memoir on the bestseller shelf. Now, usually in these Maine independent bookstores, the bestseller shelf is usually the best sellers for their store. Sherman's is a chain of nine bookstores in Maine, um, and it's awesome. If you're ever in Maine, check one out. They're in some high tourist cities, so I'm sure you'd find one. And I'm like, "Ah, I didn't know he wrote a memoir. I pulled it down and looked, and it was a signed copy. And I'm like, his memoir is a Sherman's Books bestseller, and it's signed. He must have been in Maine. How could Bob Odenkirk have been in Maine? And I'm a fan, obviously, and me not know about it. And so when I got home, I googled, and could not find any, anything that indicated he'd been in Maine, but I said, what the heck, I'm gonna buy this on audiobook and listen. As I said, I've been a Bob Odenkirk fan for a long time. I used to, years ago, almost 30 years ago, watch Mr. Show on HBO. I also loved him on the Larry Sanders show. I was always excited whenever he popped up in a show. It's funny, um, a couple of years ago, right before the pandemic, my sisters and mom and I, around Christmas, went to see Little Women, the most recent movie of Little Women, and I was all excited that he, he played the father, and everybody was like, "What? what's your problem? And I love Better Call Saul... I think it's actually much better than Breaking Bad. I don't want to scandalize all of you Breaking Bad fans out there. One thing he does really well in Better Call Saul, and he also did in another shows he was in, is he manages to make his character sympathetic and likable even when he's kind of a jerk or doing things that you don't sympathize with. And that's a hard thing to do. I think the character and drama in Better Call Saul is more in-depth than in Breaking Bad... And it's definitely worth watching if you haven't watched it yet. It's on Netflix. And his memoir, he does have some negative things to say, but he does it in a way, which I think is good. I think you shouldn't just be blowing sunshine up people's ass if you're going to write a memoir and you're a celebrity. He has a way of being able to say what's negative about people without just rallying against them or being gratuitous. For instance, the stuff he says about Lauren Michaels, the producer of Saturday Night Live, is every. Everything you ever thought about Lorne Michaels negatively. He also has a lot of interesting things to say about the process and comedy and what he feels comedy is and people's approach to it. And I find that kind of thing interesting. So it's a book and or audio book that I recommend. Another thing I've enjoyed recently is the Bridget Everett show on HBO, Somebody Somewhere. It's not slapstick comedy or anything. I can see how it wouldn't be to everybody's taste. It's just one of those very quiet, subtle shows that's funny, but also poignant and very character driven. It's kind of the basic story of her going back to her small town. This is in Kansas. And trying to figure out who she is and what's going on, and kind of coming in conflict a little, for instance, with a sister and her parents. If you liked Tignataro's similar show of a few years ago, which I did hugely, you will like this as well. They're half hour episodes, and there's only a handful of them, so it goes by pretty fast. But I think that um, a lot of people may not have heard about it, but would enjoy it. And it also highly passes the Bechdel. Milliken test and if you don't know what that is I won't go into a big thing I describe on our website the Bechdel test is a movie a book or anything else if it passes the Bechdel test it has a conversation between two women that's not about a man and if you think well yeah so do a lot of things it's surprising because ever since I heard about this a few months ago I've been testing everything I watch and read and you'd be astounded by how few things have conversations between two women that are about something other than a man. And then Becky and I added on our website a bunch of other things. You can go and check it out. But kind of related to that, one thing I really enjoyed, and I binged on Hulu right before they took it off, so I'm not sure if it's available anymore, originally by the BBC was staged with David Tennant and Michael Sheen, and the premise is... That they're playing themselves, the usual kind of exaggerated versions of people when people play themselves on shows like this. And it starts like near the beginning of the pandemic and they were supposed to be in this play. So the kind of hapless director of the play decides that they can... Start rehearsing it over Zoom. Then, when the pandemic lifts, they'll be ready to stage a play, and everybody else will be scrambling to. And they'll be, but it's funny, it's a lot about the relationship between the two men. A lot of it takes place, you know, in a Zoom kind of construct, but there is other stuff that doesn't. And their families, or in some cases, pseudo families for the show, are brought in. And it's very good, especially if you like David Tennant and Michael Sheen. There's kind of a joke. At the end of the, at the beginning, I guess, of the second season, because there's two seasons, they're both, I think, sorry, I didn't write this down, nine episodes each, where they want to redo it for America, not to spoil much, but they don't think people know David Tennant and Michael Sheen well enough in America, so they want to have other people play them. And the first people they get are Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, who I kind of know, but I got to tell you, I know David and Michael Sheen much better. Maybe it's because, you know, I watch a lot of BBC stuff from Acorn and everything. But it, but anyway, it's funny in, in, in the second season they kinda break that third wall or fourth wall. I can never remember how many walls they're supposed to be, but they break it. And at first I'm like, wait, am I watching like a little special about this show? But then it's there's a very funny bit with Michael Palin from Monty Python. It kind of shitting all over them. So the second season actually devolves into this. It's hilarious, but you have to watch it from the beginning. But back to the Bechdel test, there's a part late in the second season where David's wife and Michael's wife are on Zoom talking about where, if they could go anywhere in the world, where they would go. And like David's in the background going, Georgia, Georgia, like calling his wife. And one of them goes, do you know about the Bechdel test? And then she explains what the Bechdel test is, and they both kind of laugh, but I'm thinking, you know, that's the only incidence, I think, in this entire two-season series that passes the Bechdel test. Yeah, I guess that's kind of meta. If Becky were here, she would explain to me, because I've never been able to really nail down what meta means. Becky would explain it to me. Given that it barely passes the Bechdel test, I guess the fact that it acknowledges it doesn't Is part of the humor, but it's definitely worth watching if you can find it. It was a BBC show and it was on Hulu and I just happened to catch it. It's last week on Hulu, but I'm sure it'll turn up somewhere else. Let's see what else. Becky was reading a Leanne Moriarty book that she told me was wicked good and better than the other ones. I can't remember the title and she's not here to say what it is. But if you're looking for a good read, anything by Leanne Moriarty is good. I read... Apples Never Fall, a few months ago, I'm sure I talked about it on one of the podcasts, almost literally in one sitting. I read it in the course of 24 hours, and it's a fairly long book. Hers All Are, which I like, because if a book is good, I like it to be long. I don't want it to end. So anything by her is good, and when Becky's on, again, she can tell you what the title of that one was. Speaking of books and stuff, while listening to Bob Odenkirk's audiobook, he talks a lot about Janine Garofalo, who I've always been a big fan of and related to and thought was funny. I was just reading an article, an old article from New York Magazine last night that was written in 1995 at the time that she had been on Saturday Night Live, talking about Saturday Night Live. And I and you guys, I this may be too, like, old and... Um, esoteric for you but she only was on there for half a season then quit because they were just brutal to her there's a lot of misogyny you know they wondered why it wasn't funny back then not that it's funny now you know when when it's dominated by white men of a certain education level like they most of them went to ivy league schools and stuff the only humor they see is their own and if they block out everyone else they're going to be very limited in reaching their audience and in being funny Kind of like the Supreme Court without the funny part, the Constitution part, you know, keeping, keeping people of color and women off. You know, I know that's probably a, a struggling metaphor, but I was thinking the same thing. But anyway, so I was thinking about Janine Garofalo. As you know, and I can say this without the eye rolls because Becky isn't here to do it, I'm also a mystery writer. I've written a th- three-book series set in Maine, Cold Hard News, No News is Bad News, Bad news travels fast. And one thing people ask me, you know, I do these author things and everything. A question that people love to ask is, if your book were made into a movie, although now it's more Netflix series, people say, instead of a movie, who would play the leads? And it's a question I really don't like that much because as an author, I feel that people's imaginations are very strong. And I'm not one of those people who heavily describes characters. I give a few hints here and there because I think readers do better when their imaginations can fill in what people look like rather than if I force them to see somebody looking like, you know, I have very specific ideas of what my characters look like, but to me, they're real people. I'm not basing them on movie stars or anybody else I know looks-wise. The main characters, in the case of my books, Bernadette, Bernie, O'Day, and the police chief, Pete, are real people to me who look a certain way. So usually when people ask me that, I say I explain all that only a little more articulately. And then I say, the bigger question is, who would you have them play in a movie? <laughs> that said, I've always felt the only person I've always thought, yeah, she could play Bernadette, Bernie, O'Day, is Janine Garofalo. I think she'd be perfect. First of all, she's half Irish and half Italian, not that that matters, but so is Bernie. So is me, um, by the way. But she also has the right look, the right attitude, the right persona for it. So if that were ever to happen, my lips to God's ears, that um, my books were to be made into a series, I would say, even even though my character is in her 40s and Janine by now is in her 50s, I you know, who? why do they have to be a certain age? Why can't they be in their 50s? There's nothing specific about them the characters in my books that says they have to be in their 40s. So anyway, Janine, if you're listening, can check out my books, Cold Hard News, No News is Bad News, and Bad News Travels Fast. They're on our website, Crime and Stuff Online, as well as my website, MaureenMilliken.com, and of course on Amazon and bookstores, selected bookstores. And if any of you know Janine, You might want to put in a word for me and tell her, hey, check this out. This could be a great project for you. And seriously, I've heard they're looking for projects like this on streaming services. So why not me, right? And see now, here's where I need Becky to break in and say something sarcastic. So just imagine her saying something sarcastic. But also, while I have the floor here, if any of you are looking for something to read, you might want to check them out. See how everything goes to hell. When Becky isn't here, I promise you things will be back to normal, whatever that is, when our next episode comes up, which, as I said, should be no later than a couple weeks and maybe sooner. We'll talk more then. So thanks for sticking with us. Hang in there and we will be back soon. (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to hold my thing like this because it's short. That's what he said. I'm sorry. Are you sorry? No.